What would you do for a cause you believed in? Would you be willing to give to it financially whatever the cost? What if the cost was your life? What if this price meant the achievement of your cause? Would you sacrifice yourself for it? It's the life of a boy from Dublin which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In number 8, Fleet Street, Dublin, in 1902, a boy was born. His name was Kevin Barry. He was the fourth child of seven children. His father, Thomas, had started life as a lowly peasant, working on a small family-owned farm in Carlow. When he saved just about enough, he opened a dairy farm on Fleet Street in order to sell what he could produce on his Carlow farm. It was here where Kevin learnt about work rate. He would watch as his father would set off in the middle of the night on a horse and cart out to the farm in Carlow and return to open the shop to sell all he could carry. Sleep was not a pleasure which would visit him often. When Kevin was just six years old however, his overworked father died and the family was sent into an emotional and financial trauma. His mother Mary moved the family back to her home near Toome Bay in Carlow. Here, as a child, Kevin was sent to the National School in Rathfilly. His mother had instilled in all her children that education would be the key to them to not have to live as she and her husband did. She taught them that life would be better if they could earn enough to do the things they wanted to do, instead of having to work all the hours of the day and night in order to be able to eat. This combined with the work rate his father had built into him, led Kevin to becoming a very studious young man. He worked extremely hard in school and was regarded as one of the most intellectual students to ever pass through the school's doors. He also had a great love for sport, which developed in his time at the school, and he would regularly be seen in the sports pitches when his head wasn't stuck in books. When the financial strains of their lives began to ease, Kevin's mother moved the family back to Dublin. Here, he attended St. Mary's College in Rathmines until the school closed in 1916. Whilst living here, on the 24th of April, Kevin was playing on the street outside his house with some neighbours. An argument broke out about whether he had shot his friend with his pistol made of the fingers in his hand when they were rudely interrupted by the stomping sounds of boots marching towards them. They looked down the road to see swarms of British soldiers march from the south of the city towards the GPO, where Irish rebels had seized control of the nation. Kevin hid behind the wall as he watched soldier after soldier march past his house with guns resting on their shoulder and horses parading next to them. They seemed to continue passing for hours, each stomping footstep more frightening than the last. That night, and for the following few days, as Kevin lay in his bed, he listened to the thumping sounds of his city being shelled by the heavy artillery launching from boats in his beloved River Liffey. He would hear the pounding on the city streets, followed by the soft cracks of rifles in between belts. Over the next few days, Kevin witnessed the Irish rebel leaders being taken to Kilmainham Jail to be executed as the Rising failed. He watched with a heavy heart as some of his neighbours on the south side of the city cheered on and celebrated the British soldiers coming to the city. 
The year before this event, Kevin had been walking home when he stumbled upon a commemoration for the Manchester Martyrs. In Manchester, in 1867, 50 Irish Fenians, led by William Allen, attacked a prison van guarded by a large number of unarmed police. Their aim was to capture and release two important Fenian prisoners, Thomas Kelly and Timothy Deasy. As they freed the men, an unarmed police sergeant, Charles Brett, was killed. 26 Irish men were trialled for his death. Three of these were found guilty of the murder. They were William Allen, Michael O'Brien and Michael Larkin. 10,000 people came out to watch their public execution in Manchester as the three men were hanged one by one in front of the crowd. All three of the executed men were born and raised in Ireland. William Allen was just 18 years old and from Bandon, County Cork. As he stood next to his own noose, he shouted to the crowd, I will die proudly and triumphantly in defence of the Republican principles and the liberty of an oppressed and enslaved people. Michael Larkin was from Offaly and was a tailor who lived with his wife and family in Manchester. He was ill at the time of the raid and struggled to escape. As he fell, his friend Michael O'Brien from Ballymacoda, County Cork, went back to help him off the train line he had fallen on. It was here both men were captured as O'Brien tried to help Larkin. O'Brien himself was a veteran of the US Army who had returned home to help the Irish cause. As O'Brien stood next to his noose, he shouted, God save Ireland, to the crowd. As Larkin fell with the noose around his neck, it appeared to be too loose, and he gripped his jaw to strengthen his neck. Upon seeing that he wasn't dying, Calcraft, the hangman, jumped onto his back to weigh him down and choked him to death. It was after witnessing the commemoration, Kevin identified the great Countess Markovic in the crowd and approached her to let him join the rebel group she had created called Fenia Heron. She was wowed by the bravery of this young man to approach a leader of the rebel cause without any regard for class, status or military customs. As a result of this, she quickly identified in him that he understood the struggle. They were looking to create a republic equal for all. After St Mary's school closed, Kevin was granted a place in the prestigious Belvedere College. He gained this through his own intellect and sporting abilities. He was quickly included in their senior cup rugby team, playing with the elite of the elite not just in the sport, but in social standings. He did not value all his classmates though, who would earn their roles in life simply through the lotto of life, and despised how they looked down on him and his class. In a small act of rebellion, he founded the school's hurling team in 1918, stating that an Irish school should play an Irish sport, not just the sports of the empire. Whilst in the school, his science and maths teacher said of Kevin, he was a dour kind of a lad, but once he got down to something, he went straight away. There was no waving of flags with him, but he was sincere and intense. Kevin continued to work hard in school and won a merit-based scholarship from the Dublin Corporation, which allowed him to study medicine in UCD. 
He began this course with the world at his feet in 1919. He understood, as a young man studying medicine, with the contacts he'd made in school, he could make a fortune working as a doctor. He buried his head in his books once again and set high score records in the school exams. Few have matched them even to this day. While studying medicine, he became great friends with Jerry McAleer from Dungannon, who he had already known from his days in Belvedere, and they were part of a wider group of friends, including Frank Flood and Mick Robinson. They were not just bound by their friendship and commonality of studying medicine as Irish Catholic boys. They were all members of the Irish Volunteers, the militarised arm of the Irish Rebellion. In October 1917, Kevin had joined the IRA and was assigned to C Company 1st Battalion and was based on the north side of the city. Later, after showing great promise to the cause, he was transferred to the command of Captain Sean Kavanagh. His main role to begin with was to carry messages between the top-ranking members of the army. Being a young boy, he was largely overlooked at the checkpoints of British soldiers looking for message runners. As his reputation began to grow and the leaders gained more faith in him, he was ordered to take part in a series of raids on the British Army to take guns and weapons from them for the cause. On June 1st, 1920, a year into his studies to become a doctor, he played a notable role with Padder Clancy in seizing King's Inn and capturing the British garrison's arms depot. He took back with him 25 rifles, two machine guns and a large amount of ammo. During the raid, he managed to disarm and capture 25 British soldiers and release them again unarmed as he left the building. In September of the same year, Kevin got up early to go to Mass before meeting with other IRA volunteers on Bolton Street in Dublin. They were given orders to ambush a British army lorry which was due to deliver bread to a bakery. Their mission was to take the weapons off the back of it. The operation was scheduled for 11am so that Kevin could manage the raid and then get back to college for his lectures in the afternoon. As the lorry arrived to the ambush point, Kevin and the other volunteers surrounded it and pointed their guns at the soldiers to begin the raid. Things were going smoothly and there was no issues until one of the British soldiers shot their rifle at the volunteers and Kevin and the other volunteers opened fire on them. Kevin's own gun jammed and to protect himself he dived under the vehicle. The other volunteers ran away back through the Dublin streets as the Dublin locals blocked the path of the soldiers following them. When they came back to the lorry one of them spotted Kevin hiding under it and they immediately arrested him. That afternoon, a statement was released by the British Army. This morning, a party of one NCO and six men of the Duke of Wellington's regiment were fired on by a body of civilians outside a bakery in Church Street, Dublin. One soldier was killed and four were wounded. A piquet of the Lancashire Fusiliers in the vicinity, hearing the shots, hurried to their comrades' assistance and succeeded in arresting one of the aggressors. No arms or equipment were lost by the soldiers. When he was arrested, Kevin was placed in the back of a lorry and beaten by the British soldiers. 
When they arrived to the North Dublin Union, he was strip-searched and handcuffed. After a short while, he was questioned by three officers. The only information he would give them was his name, his address and his occupation as a medical student. He refused to give any further information or the names of the others involved. A public campaign began looking for the release of Kevin Barry as the public did not want another young life lost to the cause for Irish freedom. They had seen enough of that in 1916. Whilst being questioned, Kevin was stabbed in the stomach a number of times with a bayonet. He was laid on the floor as he was walked on by one officer, whilst the other bent his arms back so that the elbows would meet behind his spine. They placed their knees on the base of his spine, whilst they pulled his ankles and his head backwards to meet. Each time they bent him, his stomach wounds would ooze blood and would tear. They told him they would stop and let him go free if he gave them some names. The only information he would give them was his name, his address and his occupation as a medical student. He was trialled under court-martial, although he was not recognised as a prisoner of war. He was trialled in front of British Army officers, but the rebel movement had provided him with a Fenian defence team. When it came to his time to answer questions, Kevin simply responded to each question. As a soldier of the Irish Republic, I refuse to recognise this court. When asked did he realise what would happen to him if he did not cooperate, he did not reply. He was charged with all three murders of the British soldiers and was sentenced to death. This would be carried out a few days later. Kevin spent the next few days preparing for his death, meeting with priests and sharing his story with anyone who would visit. His ordeal began to focus the world's attention on Ireland and the crimes of the British Empire towards its people. The day before his hanging, Kevin was visited by his sisters, brothers and mother. He was also visited by Canon Waters, who said that Kevin showed no fear of death. Kevin's mother stated that this was because her son was proud to die for the Republic and welcomed joining the fallen leaders of 1916. He would die for Ireland's sake, and he saw no higher role for an Irishman to play at the time. Kevin was executed on November 1st, 1920. He was just 18 years old. The outrage of his death sparked a new movement in the Irish people. It was during the Irish War of Independence, and the shock of the execution of the young man brought all those on the fence about the war right into the heart of it. Kevin's death led to the final push for Ireland's freedom. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us to continue to create more, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash we the Irish. Ornus Anam Dum, Gurmagut, Slaninish.